Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from May 3rd by Pastor Randy, titled, It's Time to Focus, Part 3. So here we are, we're we're talking uh, about how life is full of choices. And how every day, every day, we have to choose between the most important thing and and something that's less important. Between the most important thing and something that's urgent. Between the most important thing and something that's temporary. Between the most important thing and something that's trivial. We have to make those choices every day. And sometimes those choices, the, the two things we have to choose from are so far apart, the choice is obvious. For example, do I hold the door open for this person or do I let it let the, hit them in the face? Do I let this guy merge in traffic in front of me or do I speed up and cut him off? I mean, those two things are, are very different. And the choice should be obvious. It should be easy for us. But sometimes, even though the things are very different, even though things are very far apart, it's a difficult choice. For example, if I'm on an airplane and a lady's got a screaming baby in front of me, do I to give her words of encouragement and comfort, or do I suggest she take her baby to the bathroom till it stops crying? Now, depending on what mood I'm in, that can be a very difficult choice. But some things, although this, those, those are two very different things, you know, words of encouragement or a little bit of rudeness, sometimes that can be a hard choice. Here's another example. Do I trust that God's ways are, are best for me and walk in purity, or do I have sex before marriage? Now, those are two very different things, but in our culture, it's a very hard choice. Uh, Another example, uh, do I trust God's ways as best and marry a believer, or do I continue dating this non-Christian because he's cute? You know, after all, a guy can become a Christian, but they can't become cute. Now, those two things are very far apart, you know, as far as doing what God says here or or dating an unbeliever, but even though those things are too far apart, they can be a very, very difficult choice in our culture today. But the most difficult choices that we have to make in life are between things that aren't far apart, is between things that are very close together. We talked about this last week. Obey or sacrifice. Those are two things that are very close together, but you better make the right choice. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus gives the Pharisees a choice. Are you going to honor your father and your mother, or are you going to declare something uh, to be dedicated to God? And and those two are very good things, but you have to make the right choice. And probably, I don't say probably, I say from what I see, the most difficult choice ever made in Scripture was with Abraham. Because Abraham was promised by God that he would have descendants that were as numerous as the stars in the heavens and as the sand on the seashore. Then Isaac is born. Then came the command to go offer up Isaac as a living sacrifice. Now there's a choice. Faith told Abraham that God will keep his promises. But reason told him if I killed Isaac, there's no promise to keep. And so can you imagine the choice between obeying God that's always been faithful to you and, and, and you've known him to keep his promises? Do you obey God or do you spare the life of your son? Very difficult choice. But faith led Abraham to believe that God could even raise him from the dead and it led him to make the right choice. Here's the thing. In life, we're always choosing between what's most important and what's lesser important or what's temporary or what's urgent or what's trivial. 
And if you make the wrong choice, it will cost you. Little ways, big ways, but it will cost you. And what happens, and I see this time and time again, people, Christians, they will focus in and choose the lesser important thing all the time. When those two things are close together, and still they may choose a lesser important thing, and it, they wind up just living their whole life in spiritual deadness because they've always focused on the less thing, the thing that, that, that's not the most important. So we've been in, in Malachi. And Malachi is prophesying during a time when the northern kingdom is being overrun and the southern kingdom is being threatened. And people are asking, why is God letting this happen? So here's what Micah says. Let's say Malachi, I meant Micah. Here's what Micah says in, in chapter 6 eight. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah says, you know why this is happening? It's because you're not treating people right. You've forgotten what's most important. And he tells us these three things that need to be on top. These three things that, that always need to, to be focused on. That you need to, to focus as the, the most important things. And, but there was this absence of justice and mercy in that time. So much me worship. They become consumed with self. And so we've been focusing on justice, we focused on mercy, and today we're going to focus on humility. And Micah puts it this way, to walk humbly with God. Now my first question is, is there any other way to walk with God except humbly? But that's what he, he focuses on. So let's look at one more verse in Micah. Micah 2, verse 3, says, Therefore the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. God says, you're focused on me, worship. You've always been putting yourself on top. I'm going to deal with your pride. See, it's so easy for us to put me, worship on top because me, worship is the most popular religion in the world today. It affects everything. It affects how we vote. We're going to vote for the candidate that promises to do the most for me. It affects our budget. Because we want to make sure we have enough for me. It affects our relationships. Before we invest too much in a relationship, we want to know what's in it for me. It affects the way people choose a church. Because most people don't choose a church asking, how can I serve the church? How can I serve God in this church? They choose a church basing, how is the church going to meet my needs? Self-worship has been around since the Garden of Eden. And one of the biggest indicators of how self-worship has overtaken the world today is that every day there's over 90 million selfies taken. Now, if you have a teenager, that number may seem a little bit low, uh, but it's still a lot. Uh, last year, or this two years ago, Google had 24 billion selfies were uploaded to their site. 24 billion. We're constantly taking pictures of ourselves, And that's a relatively new phenomenon. 20 years ago, taking pictures of yourself, that would have seemed ridiculous. But that's what we do. We take pictures of ourselves, And if you're in a group picture and you're shown that group picture, what do you look at first? You look at yourself. If you look good, it's a good picture. If everyone else looks good but you don't, delete that thing. You know, don't you dare post it. And right now there's a condition that's popped up in doctor's offices. It starts with a tingling in your fingers and, and your hand. It has a sharp pain in your wrist. And they're calling that selfie wrist because people are contouring their hands taking selfies so much as putting a strain on the wrist. And then we have this whole new category of selfies that are going wrong. Selfies that have gotten people in trouble. 
Some people have, have been put in jail because of selfies. You know, they, they take a picture of them in their crime. You know, here I am, shoplifting, click, and they post it, and then the police show up. Or somebody's getting fired because of a selfie. A guy calls into work and says, you know, I got a family emergency. I'm going to miss. And they take pictures of themselves and post it of them being drunk at a party. And the boss is like, hey, you need to come see me tomorrow. Then we even got this whole other category called death by selfie, where people have died trying to take the perfect selfie. About 25 people a year or more, I think it's getting more now, have died just taking, trying to take the perfect selfie. Death by selfie is more likely than death by shark. That's the world we live in today. So here's the question. What does it mean to walk humbly with God? First of all, I'm going to give you four, probably four things right now. First of all, it means that God wants us to walk with Him. You need to let that sink in. That God doesn't just want to meet you at a point in time, you know, this five minutes to pray at this time of day or this ten minutes to read my Bible before I go to bed at night. God doesn't want to just meet you at a point in time. He wants to meet with you all the time. He wants to be with you all the time. God does not want you to compartmentalize your life. Where you have a, a work life, a home life, a hobby life, and over here's a spiritual life. No, God wants to do all of life with you. Which means you're never the most important person. When you're with God, you're always a servant. You're never the most important person. Uh, back a few years ago, there was a seminary that, looked, that was looking for a new president. And they narrowed it down to, to five qualified candidates. And all seem to be fairly equally qualified. So to go from their five candidates down to their one candidate, they went to these, other, these five people, they went to their present place of employment, and they interviewed the janitor. And they hired the guy that got the most glowing interview from the janitor. Because they wanted a man that understood that he was, in a, that he was always going to be the servant. That, that, that meant he was going to always walk with God, who understand what it meant to be a servant. Second of all, what does it mean to walk humbly with God? It means you don't own the path. It's not, God, I'm going down this path that you want to come. It's, God, I'm going to go wherever you take me. Because when you're walking with God, you're going to notice what he notices, and you're going to notice who he notices. So if I walk focused on me, I may not notice that guy in a ditch like, like the Good Samaritan. But that in that ditch, that's where God walks. That's who he's noticing. It means I may not wind up in places where my self-interest would normally take me, where my self-interest would want to avoid, but I'm looking for God-engineered ways which to be a blessing. Third, when you walk with God, it will be characterized by humility. Or when you walk with God in a way that's characterized by humility, that means you're fine with not being noticed. See, we live in a culture that values that places value on people by how much attention they get, how much applause they get, how many likes did you get. You know, we post something and we feel better if we got likes of lo a whole lot of likes. But to walk humbly with God is to live in a way that God looks good, not me. Remember John the Baptist? The disciples came to him and said, man, all the people, they're leaving you and they're going over to Jesus. And what was John's reply? I couldn't be happier. I never wanted it to be about me. I have to decrease. He must increase. See, if you want to make life about you, you're never really going to be happy because circumstances is not going to focus on you as much as you would like for circumstances to focus on you. But when you focus on Jesus, you'll always be happy because there's no circumstance that can prevent you from focusing on Him. The fourth thing, 
about walking with God. When you walk with God, you're not going to boast. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. God says, you want to boast? Boast that you know me. In other words, boast that you always know what's most important. You always know what you need to focus on. Life will give you opportunities to back that boast up all day long. All right, now let's, let's look at two scriptures that talk about who God is. The first one is Matthew chapter 11. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's the maker of the universe telling us he's gentle and humble. Folks, we serve a humble God. Now listen to Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he's saying, this is how God wants you to think. This is how God wants you to walk. This is what God wants you to focus on. And he gives the example of Jesus. How when Jesus showed up in a manger, he had nothing. He was about this big, you say, Jeremy, for kids, you know, about, about this long, and completely naked. Everything he had... He left in heaven. See, he didn't pack to come down here on earth. He unpacked. He left his throne, his glory, everything in heaven to come in on earth, to come to earth. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And how far did he humble himself? To the point of becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And all he wants you to do is to apologize. All he wants you to do is stop talking so much about yourself. So Jesus humbles himself. And after he humbles himself, it, later on it goes on to say in Philippians 2 that God exalted him. God put him in a place of greatness. Now, don't we all want to be great? I'm not talking about greatness in the eyes of the world, but greatness in the eyes of God. Isn't that what we want? We want to be a person who loves like God loves, who accepts others like God does, who forgives like God does, who, who serves like God does, who's holy just like God. And what we need to understand is that road to greatness is humility. That's the name of that road that leads that greatness. It's humility. So now the question, what is humility? Humility is not weakness. It's not shyness. It's not a lack of confidence. It's not thinking less than yourself. It's not, oh, I can't do that. I'll never be able to do that. Humility is not running yourself down. Humility isn't so much a trait as it is someone who's seen God. Because when we get a glimpse of God, we automatically reevaluate who we are. And when we get a glimpse of God, it shuts down pride completely. Good examples in Isaiah 6 were King Uzziah died, and Uzziah says, Isaiah says he saw the Lord high and exalted in a train of his robe filling the temple. 
Smoke filled the place. Angels are going back and forth singing, holy, holy, holy to one another. The place is shaking. And Isaiah, who's having this vision, he doesn't go, hey, guys, what's up? No. He sees himself completely differently in light of seeing who God is. He's completely humbled himself. Or John in Revelation, he gets a glimpse of Jesus whose hair is white like wool, eyes like fire, feet like bronze, a sword coming out of his mouth. And when he sees it, John says he fell down dead. See, that's what happens when you get a glimpse of God. It resizes how you see yourself, what you think about yourself. So if humility is seeing God, pride is seeing me. Now, sometimes pride is on one extreme. It's, it's just arrogance. Everything's about me. We have to make everything about me. You know, and it's type of arrogance. But there's another extreme in which pride goes to, and that's self-hate. It's, I'm no good. I'll never be any good. Woe is me. Poor me. Who would want to hang out with me? Now, those seem like humble statements. But notice at the end of all those is me. So pride, in one instance, is the person who thinks he's not weak at all. But pride is also the person who feels they're so weak, God can't do anything with them. See, that's an accusation against God. God, you're not strong enough to do anything with me. At the heart of both these perspectives of look how good I am, look how strong I am, or look how weak I am, look, I can't do anything, look, why would anybody want to hang out with me? At the heart of both those perspectives, I'm looking at me more than I'm looking at God. See, glimpses of me fuel pride, but glimpses of, of God fuel humility. To be humble, you have to learn how to deal with pride. Pride's that, that yucky thing that, that's inside of us. When C.S. Lewis was talking about it, he said that, that greed and, and anger and drunkenness are mere flea bites compared to pride because pride leads to every other vice. That's in you and that's in me. So you need to understand that pride doesn't make you bigger. It diminishes you. Pride diminishes your capacity to admit what you need to admit. It diminishes your capacity to acknowledge what you need to acknowledge. It diminishes your capacity to apologize, you need to apologize. Pride not only keeps you from saying what needs to be said, it keeps you from hearing what needs to be heard. Because there are people probably right now that are trying to get through to you and tell you something, but your pride just causes their words to bounce off and they don't hear anything. Pride keeps you from celebrating other people's successes. Pride keeps you from initiating an apology when you know you're wrong. Pride keeps you from admitting weaknesses. Pride keeps you from being honest with yourself. It keeps you from being honest with others. Pride keeps you from learning things because you want people around you to think you already know everything. Pride crowds out people and it crowds out God. Because when you're full of you, there's no room for anybody else. So here's the question. Why would you want to continue to embrace something that crowds people out and crowds God out of your life? Why would you want to do that? And I know the answer. The answer is because you're afraid. You're afraid what might happen if you humble yourself. You're afraid of what people might think if you humble yourself. You're afraid of what people might think if you apologize or if they knew this certain thing about you or what was really going on in your life. So instead, pride makes you put on this persona of, I'm great, I don't have any problems, there's no issues here. Let me ask you a question. Maybe you've seen the, the show Shark Tank. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. You have people that come up with inventions or some different way of marketing something and they pitch their idea to these rich pretentious people who either shoot it down or they'll invest in it one or the other so 
let me ask your opinion. Here's an invention that I think might work. You hook it up to your treadmill and you have two speakers that you put behind us. And we know how music motivates people, right? So what if we play things on these speakers that motivate us to help get us in shape faster? Maybe you play a track called Zombie Apocalypse and you push that and as you're running, you hear these zombies getting closer and closer so you naturally start running faster. Or you have a track named Vicious Lions and you start slowing down. And when you start slowing down that treadmill, you decide, I'm going to push you down a little bit lower. You start hearing those lions get closer. So then you start running faster. Or maybe a track called Angry Wife. <laughs> well, maybe not. But anyway, you just hear a wife in the background, you know, and you start running. But that's how we're taught to deal with things that we're afraid of, right? We just run away. And so that's what people do when it comes to humbling themselves. They just want to, they don't, embrace it they run away from it because they think humbling themselves means getting walked on they think humbling themselves meaning missing credit for something that they got that they did they think humbling themselves mean they have to admit a problem that they don't want to admit but what we need to understand is that humility is at the core of life and peace and joy all that we want so rather than running from humility we need to embrace it and instead we need to stop we're just going to get rid of pride and what I want you to do is don't be afraid of getting rid of pride. In fact, enjoy the process. Go, watch this pride. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to go tell that person I'm sorry. Take that pride. I'm going to go admit I have this addiction. I have this drinking problem or this drug problem or whatever it is. Take that pride. I'm going to do that. Because see, for years, pride has been telling you you can handle it. What if they know? What if they find out? And so you say, I'm just going to tell them. Take that pride. Maybe for the next week, you stop talking about yourself. Maybe next week you decide, I'm not going to mention the word I or me in any sentence. As soon as somebody asks something they want me to answer, I'm going to give them the shortest answer I can, then go back to focusing on them. I'm going to get the focus off of me as soon as I can. So I'm not going to use any sentences that begin with the word or that have I or me in them. Take that pride. You may need to say, sorry, God, I thought it was all about me, and I've been robbing you of your glory. So, Arrogance has no place. Self-hate has no place. If you're going to walk with God, you need to understand there's only one way you can do that, and that's humbly. So you need to put that at the top in your list of what you need to focus on. That I'm going to walk humbly with my God. And maybe that's what you need to do right now. Maybe you need to stop right now and say, God, <laughs> I'm letting pride lead me down the wrong path so many times. I've let pride take my focus on what's most important. So I've been choosing the lesser thing over and over again, and that's been destroying my life. Not anymore. And maybe it's time you got humble. You admitted something. Maybe it's got humble and you confessed something. Maybe it's time that, that you get humble and, and you just see a whole new perspective of who you are because you realize I'm with God. If I'm walking with God, he's always the most important. Never me and never wanting to put a focus on us. So we live in a world that's where we're faced with choices every day, every day, every day. And we have to choose what's the most important thing. 
And if you don't see justice and mercy and walking humbly with God as the most important thing, you're going to be making the wrong choices and it will cost you. It will cost you. And some of you, you know that. You can look back to your life already and you know what it's cost you in your life. And it's time to stop that. It's time to stop being afraid of humbling yourself and embrace humility. Would you do that? Let's pray together. Father, we come to this time where we all have to battle pride. It's within all of us. And we have to make a choice. Are we going to let that win? Or are we going to to not be afraid of humility and embrace it? Are we going to walk with you? Father, I pray we realize the only way we can do that is humbly. Because we serve a humble God. So Father, may that be us who never again will willingly put ourselves in a place where only you should be in our lives. May we be willing to admit our weaknesses, admit our shortcomings, admit that, and then have you to come up and exalt us so that we become great, that we're able to forgive, we're able to love, we're, we're able to, uh, to serve, we're able to be holy, because we can't do those things without walking humbly with you. It'll never happen. So, Father, may we realize this, and be a group that, that a group of people that humble ourselves before you and before one another. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.